0: Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Please open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3 and stand for the reading of God's Word. I will read verses 1 through 13, but we will be focused on verse 11 today for the sermon. This is the word of the Lord. It is eternally true. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity, But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Deacons likewise must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These men must also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Deacons must be husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children and their own households. For those who have served well as deacons, obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we pray as we come to your word that you would nourish us and feed us and strengthen us. Father, we pray that you would make us like little children, uh, longing for a meal, and that we would have uh, teachable hearts and minds. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. So that verse we're focusing on, verse 11, women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. We've spent about four weeks focused on this portion of 1 Timothy chapter 3. The offices of elder and deacon are named and the qualifications for those offices are defined. Elders and deacons are to be one, women, one woman men. And so it is quite clear here, but also with the testimony of the rest of scriptures, that men only are to occupy the, the offices and take, um, take on the responsibilities of the offices of elder and deacon. But why here, in the midst of a list of qualifications for men, Uh, who would be deacons, is there a verse addressed to women? That's the question, right? I think there are generally four views that are taken as to why the Apostle Paul addressed women at this point. First, there are some who say that the Apostle Paul is opening these uh, these offices in the church to women. Sort of the broadest view would be that view. But in order to justify that point, you would have to tear 1 Timothy 2 out of the Bible. Or metaphorically to to do some sort of twisted hermeneutical gymnastics to get around 1 Timothy 2. Uh, 1 Timothy 2, you remember, teaches us that God's creation order defines the relationship between men and women. God's creation order defines the relationship between men and women in the home, in the church, and in the public square. It says this, But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created and then Eve. There's that creation order. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. But women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. So I'm not going to re-preach that sermon. There's a sermon that you can go online and listen to if you want to on those passages. But the point needs to be repeated here. These offices, both elder and deacon, would cause a woman to exercise authority over a man. That is what is forbidden in 1 Timothy 2, the immediately preceding passage. Um... So the view that this one verse, verse 11, opens the offices of the church to women disregards uh, the context of Timothy and then leads to a contradiction to the Holy Spirit's words just a few verses prior. Secondly, there are some who say this verse addressed to women uh, opens the office of deacon to women. Uh, because it falls in the middle of the directions um, about deacons. Uh, For the same reason, though, as the previous reason, this should be off the table, right? It would be to vest authority in a woman where she is forbidden, in God's word, to exercise it. Um, Also, that word likewise, right? Each of the different designations was started with likewise. That word likewise was used to distinguish between an overseer and a deacon to make a difference between them. and appears in the verse so it, seemed, so it seems that it's creating a difference between deacon and woman. Okay? Um, it's creating distinction from deacon and, and his office. Uh, many who hold the view that this establishes a diaconate with both males and females point to Romans sixteen one, which says, "I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a deacon, who is a servant, a diaconos of the church, which is at Chentria. But the word diaconos is when when not used in a in a passage specifically dealing with church offices like Romans 16.1, simply has the meaning of servant. A servant. Words have more than one meaning, right? And in those cases, context becomes important in, de- in figuring out what the word means. Note, in our passage in 1 Timothy, it does not call the women deacons or by some other official title, yet it, dis- it creates distinction from deacons by saying Likewise. He simply says, women. Okay, that's all he says here is women. So those first two interpretations are off the table largely, mostly because of the Holy Spirit's teaching in First Timothy 2. What are the two remaining views of this passage? The first view um, is that this verse, along with First Timothy 5, right? If you go forward and look at First Timothy 5, that's the widow's list. Right. The other view is that this creates a non-ordained work of deacons, helpers, or deaconesses. Okay? And the last view is simply that this passage addresses the wives of deacons. Okay, so those are the other two. It creates a non-ordained um, position of deaconess or deacon helper, or it is addressing the wives of the deacons. So let me take the the last one first. The Greek word gune, which is what is used here, means both women and wives. It is the word. They don't have a separate word for those two things. Women and wives is the same word in Greek. Again, how do you determine which one is being used? It's the context context helps you determine whether it's just addressing women generically or wives so many say the apostle paul addressed the elders then he addressed the deacons and then he addresses in the midst of the deacons the wives of the deacons but again the flow seems a bit odd you know why did he not have a statement for wives of elders right there's no aside to the the wives of elders in the midst of the directions to uh, or the qualifications for elders as he does for the deacons' wives. One commenter writes, and I'm going to quote this in, in um, a pretty lengthy passage because I think it's helpful. One commentator writes, For moderns, the ambiguity in this verse causes interpreters to divide generally into two camps. The first believes that this passage sets forth qualifications for deacons' wives. The second believes that it is referring to the women who are deacons' But there are other options, as we will see. He goes on and says, It should be noted that the ancient church had an order of deaconesses, as did Calvin's Geneva. But this represented an entirely different office from that of deacon. This is crucial for us to understand for various reasons. First, Paul has just finished telling us that women are not permitted to exercise authority over men in the church, First Timothy 2.12. And the office of deacon involves responsibility and authority. Second, the idea that women can hold the office of deacon was an idea that did not arise in the broader church until the 19th century. As a compromise with the demands of feminism. Okay, consequently, if we understand that more than one office is in view, the, problem, the problems evaporate. He goes on and says, the deaconess was not a woman on the one deacon board. The office of deaconess was understood by the early church to have been established in 1 Timothy 5, 9 through 12. Let me remind you what 1 Timothy 5, 9 through 12 says. A widow is to be put on the list only if she is not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one man, having a reputation for good works. And if she has brought up children, if she has shown hospitality to strangers, if she has washed the feet of the saints, If she has assisted those in distress, and if she has devoted herself to every good work, it's quite a long list of qualifications, isn't it? But refuse to put younger widows on the list, for when they feel sensual desires in disregard of Christ, they want to get married. Thus incurring condemnation because they have set aside their previous pledge. They've set aside their previous pledge. It sounds like they're pledging to some, like they're taking vows to some sort of position. And so this commentator goes on and says, there are two kinds of widows here, the kind that have lost a husband and the kind who have been taken into the number and who have taken a vow of celibacy. The second kind are not recipients of the deacon's fund, but rather involved in helping to administer it. They administer the deacon's fund, okay? Now, going on, John Calvin on a chapter that essentially compares deaconesses with nuns. Um, and he's, he's saying that nuns have nothing to do with the order that's laid out in Scripture. Um, writes the following as he looks at 1 Timothy 5, 9 through 12. He says, but how is it lawful to apply this passage of Paul to nuns? For deaconesses were created not to appease God with songs or un- unintelligible mumblings. Not to live the rest of their time in idleness, but to discharge the public ministry of the church toward the poor and to strive with all zeal, constancy, and diligence in the task of love. Public ministry of the church. It appears that Calvin utilized women to serve women. Right? He utilized women to serve women as a subset of this, his two classes of deacon, as a subset of those who go out to the sick and minister to the poor. So they fall into that second mode of deacon. Going back even further, um, the earliest source, around 380, we have uh, this said, um, and this is from a document called the Didascalia Apostolorium. Apostolorum, that's it. The Dascalia Apostolorum, around 380. In that document, we read this. This is why, O Bishop, you must take to yourself workers for justice, helpers who will cooperate with you in guiding others toward life. Those among the people who must please you in this respect should be chosen and instituted as deacons. On the one hand, a man for the administration of the many necessary tasks, a man for administration... On the other hand, a woman for ministry among the women. Right? So it makes that same distinction that Calvin made, right? There was there was a, a subset of the deacons, non-ordained, not an office, but a position, created so that women could minister to women. And that that's backed up in the history. In his book, Deaconess and Historical Study, which is a hard book to read because He gets down into the minutiae of historical study. Um, This guy named Martimor, it's French, Martimort, concludes that there really is no particular deaconess office that existed, but that it only crept up when there was a necessity. In in most cases, that necessity arose when there were adult baptisms. Those baptisms were done in the nude, okay, in the early church. Women assisted in that ritual, and that ritual only because it would have been immodest for a man to do so, especially as the, baptism, the baptisms often included an anointing with oil rubbed onto the body um, after the baptismal water. He also concludes, this Marta Moore, who looks through all the historical documents, concludes that there is no evidence they served with deacons on a single board or in any of the same ways as deacons. The deacons had a significant role in the liturgy of the church, in the early church, or that they were ordained. Okay, so so where are we? A historical argument can be made for deaconesses, even, even in a position or an office of deaconess. But can the same argument be made scripturally? Right? That's what we care about. Historically, the, off, the, the argument can be made. If we combine 1 Timothy 3:11 and 1 Timothy 5, 9 through 12, then an argument can be made for something called a member of the widow's list. But notice what that means. A member of the widow's list is over 60. A widow who has made a vow of celibacy. The young and lusty are told to marry, thereby disqualifying them from the list. Okay? So I'm willing to grant that arguments be, can be made for a, a, an unordained group of godly widows who are free to serve other widows and women in distress because they're not bound to a husband who have committed themselves to celibacy which is nothing like what people shoot for when they shoot for deaconesses or women deacons, right? Um, Just as an aside, the Council of Chalcedon apparently in 451 reduced the age requirement from 60 to 40 when it looked at this passage, and if she married after being enrolled, she and her husband could be excommunicated. And then in 325, the Council of Nicaea in Canon 19 numbered the deaconesses among the laity since they hadn't been ordained, right? It listed them among the laity. So that's, I mean, all of that, all of that, it's a far cry from what some today are demanding for women, ordination to an office of authority, that of deacon, okay? Historically, that has never been a part of the church, never been an understanding of this passage, Note also that um, if we connect 1 Timothy 3 with 1 Timothy 5, we're then locking in the translation of Gune as women. We're locking it in. It can't be wives then. Um, If they were wives, they would have been disqualified from being on the widow's list, which would have disqualified them from serving as a deaconess. Which brings us back to perhaps the simplest understanding of the passage. Apostle Paul addresses men who aspire to the office of overseer, then he addresses men who aspire to be deacons, then in the midst of that address, those deacons' wives. What does that view have going against it? The likewise is there which puts it in parallel with overseers and deacons, but, but Paul does not use an office name. Uh, he simply says Gune. He simply says wives. Um, which... And so, so the simplest reading of the passage is simply that he's turning to address the wives of deacons. Um, the wives are to have some of the same characteristics as their husbands who are deacons, and look at what immediately follows, right? It says deacons must be husbands of one wife and good managers of their children in their own households. And so addressing the wise flows right into what he next addresses, which is the marriage and the household. Okay, so there is some flow to the thought here if we take it in that way. So though I admit that we could legitimately read this verse in the context of the widow's list, I think the least forced reading is to take it as the wives of the deacons. He's addressing the wives of the deacons. Again, it is odd that he doesn't address the elders' wives. But that, I think, can be explained by the kind of work that the deacons are called to. They are called to minister to bodies and the sufferings of people which may often put them in context where a woman's sympathies and understandings are absolutely required and necessary, right? There is a reason we have given the women of our church the work of the Caring Committee, right? Largely used when women have given birth to a child and need assistance. Those visits often turn into counseling sessions and help sessions and, how are you, and I'm sorry it hurts, and hugs, (laughs) It's good to have a woman there because a man wouldn't be much help in that context. So all of that, and, and we haven't yet dealt with the specifics. Um, what are the wives of the deacons to exhibit? They are to be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate and faithful in all things. Four characteristics, very similar to the qualifications their husbands were to have. Dignified is the same for both. The deacon's wife is to be dignified. She is not to be undignified. She must be a woman who is worthy of respect. Now, what does that mean? We might think today that means she is successful and has made her way in the world. She has broken the glass ceiling. But that can't be what Scripture means when it says that she is dignified. It must correspond with God's calling for femininity not our culture's hatred and disregard of it, right? A woman is respectable. A woman is respectable when she aims to live as Proverbs 31 puts forth. She's not afraid to be committed to her husband and her children. She is described this way in Titus 2. Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that, how does it end? The word of God may not be dishonored. She is the woman who lives the word of God. The world will tell you that that is not dignified, right? But you shouldn't care what the world tells you. God says that a woman with a gentle and quiet spirit is precious in his sight. So, who are you going to believe? What God's word says or what the culture demands. The world that tells you it is undignified for you to submit to your husband and devote yourself to your children. Or the word of God which tells you that it is actually true dignity and precious in his sight. Next, wives of deacons are to be diabolos not to be diabolos not a slanderer not a false accuser not a malicious gossip is what it says they can't be those who who don't like to get stories they're told correct who who get into other people's business because they like drama and like to share drama over coffee with other soul sisters right who who are prone to to fake an interest in someone's spiritual life just so they can learn some scandalous detail about their lives. I've been praying for so-and-so because, you know, she struggles with loving her husband. Isn't that sad? They're not the kind of women who, who enter into every conversation with a record of wrong keeping. Right? They are not the kind of women who... To keep a running tally of every word another has said and use it against them whenever they have opportunity. Right? this That is the the diabolus woman. A slanderer must use her words as weapons and very seldom has the ability to give anybody else the benefit of the doubt. The man who lives with this kind of woman will shrivel up and die after a few years. Why must a deacon's wife be this way? Because her husband will be ministering to the poor, the sick, and the weak, right? And there may be a lot to despise about them if you are proud, right? They will see the insides of homes, and they will hear certain things from their mouths, and all of it will give them reason, so they think, to despise them and talk about them. That can't be the deacon's wife. Next, the, the wife of the deacon is to be temperate or sober. This word can be temperate in the, in the sense of the use of drink, um, but more broadly means self controlled. She is to be a woman who is not controlled by her passions and desires, her emotions. She is not in bondage to anything. She is not in bondage to painkillers and not in bondage to alcohol and not in bondage to her emotions, not in bondage to her own personal, personal kingdom, Right, her own personal world, self-controlled. Finally, the wife of the deacon is to be f- faithful in all things. That's a very broad category there, isn't it? Faithful in all things. Uh, This means one who lives by faith in God, yet yet also means that she is reliable. She's reliable. She does not need cajoling or a week's full open calendar to help somebody for just a few minutes. Um, She's trustworthy. She's dependable. When asked to do something, she does it. First, from a sense of duty, and second, from a sense of joy and faith in God. Right? She, she is the wife uh, who her, tr- her husband trusts. Her husband trusts. She does not hide from her husband. She does not neglect her children for me time. She is faithful in all things. She, she must be Dutch to a certain extent minus the pride um are you the kind of woman that others depend upon that others depend upon that even your own children depend upon but others beyond your own children your children have to they're forced to depend upon you they want to eat but what about others what about friends what about coworkers what about uh, neighbors um There are certain people I know that when I ask them to do something, I am going to have to ask them to do it again, and probably a third time, right? Then there are others that I know when I ask them to do something, um, I know it's as good as done. It's as good as done, and it's going to be done well, right? You should be that kind of woman, right? Faithful in all things, little things or big things. Whether you are asked to clean the rags in the church kitchen or you're asked to write an article to be published in a a well-known magazine, whatever it might be, you should be faithful in those things. Whether there is something to be gained or nothing but treasures in heaven to be gained for that work. Whether there are accolades to be had or nothing but tiredness at the end of the task to be had. So those are the specifics. George Knight, in his commentary on this passage, concludes this way, and I want to share with you what he says. The wives of deacons must be as committed and serious as their husbands, as in in control of tongues and attitudes, as self-controlled and as faithful for them to be responsible laborers with their husbands. Although this is all true, it is not said of the wives that they must first be tested and be beyond reproach, but it is not they but their husbands who are being elected to and put into office. Thus, certain qualifications are left out of consideration, which thus in itself gives further corroboration to the conclusion that those in view in verse 11 are wives who assist the deacons, their husbands. Okay, So let me conclude by saying this, women, do not fret that God has not called you to office in the church. Do not fret that God has not called you to office in the church. Responsibility in the abstract. Responsibility in the abstract is always something we think we want. Um, largely because we want to be recognized. But when the responsibility becomes real, you realize that the work requires the very blessing of God to persevere through it. It is one thing to aspire to the office of overseer and quite another thing to serve on session for three decades. Um, it's you know, it's one thing to be tested and make it as a deacon and quite another thing to serve as a deacon and, then, and get your hands dirty in people's lives and in the ministry. To know uh, that if I don't get it done, God will not be honored, and the members of the churches will not be helped. Um, So rather than fret about how you are not fulfilled, how you are not properly honored, how you do not have a stake in the church, pray for those men that God has raised up into leadership. Rather than claim spaces where God has not given you authority, give yourself to those places where God has given you wisdom and authority and compassion um, do not envy men who are called into ministry do not be naive about the burden of the work of men called into the ministry and do not neglect the real authority God has given you in certain spheres in your relationship with your husband with your children with your home with other women right these things will only be neglected I mean if we neglect those things If you don't do what God has called you to do, that's going to be to the weakness detriment of the church. And it will ultimately be to the rebuke of God. Right? We believe that. We believe that, women. Do not envy those who are called to office, but exercise the real authority that God has given you in the spheres he's called you in. And be content there. And work with all your zeal, because it's going to take every ounce of your energy and some.